podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic state of mind. I'm Paul John Dykes, and today I am joined by the one and only Anthony Haggerty. Tony, how are you? I'm good. We're back. <laughs> it doesn't seem that long ago that we were here talking about yesterday's, you know, whimper. Yeah, you know, it was a whimper yesterday from Celtic. A terrible display, and I think afterwards emotions are running high. They always are. You know, when you get a humping like that uh, from from Rangers or anyone really, and there's been quite a few this season. That's you know, think back to the European games, the cup games, just about every game against Rangers. Big, big disappointment. And I think yesterday there was a bit of a focus on a Celtic state of mind around the bigger picture. People talk about the bigger picture. Uh, you know, going further back, and you know, all you need to do is the famous banner. That was uh, unfurled by the Green Brigade. Don't sleep at, don't don't fall asleep at the wheel. You know, with a graphic, and it was uh, Demet Desmond, Peter Lowell, Neil Lennon, and they did not only fall asleep at the wheel. That motor is in the scrappies, and nobody's wanting to buy any of its spare parts. I mean, it, it's been horrendous. Let's start off with the board because I see this as a four pronged um, issue. There's, there's four pillars involved here. You've got the, the board, you've got the management of the team, you've got the team itself, and you know what? You've got the fans. And uh, the fans, for me, are the pillar that is completely being airbrushed out of this whole equation by the other three. Um, so, you know, when the, the, the captain comes out, Tony, and goes on about, oh, you'll be back next season and we're sorry... Empty words for me, Tony. Empty words after yesterday. Uh, we'll get we'll get to the game. We'll talk about all that. We spoke about it at, at length yesterday. But let's start off with the board, Tony Hagley. What have they failed to do? What do they need to do now? I'm just going to say that the Monday club, I feel is going to... Can I go into the, the Modlin club? I don't mean Modlin MLB, I mean MAU, Modlin club, but we'll try Right, I'm going to start with a project, first of all, right? Fergus McCann said, being a Celtic supporter isn't always easy, but it's always worthwhile. I'll get my positive out the road, right? But I said to you a couple of months ago, right, and I never said these words for dramatic effect. I said it because I felt it then, and I feel it even more so now, right? And I reiterated the St Francis prayer, didn't I? And those words echoed around this pod and people were like, and I say it again, well, there was harmony that the board that brought discord, Mm-hmm. Whether it was truth, they brought error. Whether it was faith, they brought doubt. And whether it was hope, they brought despair. And I think those words should echo all around the Celtic board today. They should. Because somebody should pin that up and say, that's what you did this season. That's what you did. That's your legacy this season and the season of all seasons. And it's shameful and it's on their watch. And the Celtic board members, what will they do? They'll continue to pick up their pieces of eight other pieces of silver, if you want to call it that. What do the Celtic supporters do? We'll pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. Today, is they ain't hurting the way you and I and thousands of other Celtic supporters are hurting today. That pit of the stomach feeling, 
where you wake up and you think, where do we actually go from here? Is there a contingency plan? You know, I said to you the other week, we need to copyright the men who sold the tent because there will be screeds written about this equivalent to the Dead Sea Scrolls. There'll be books, university theses, white papers, you name it, dissertations. I kid you not. But see the board. There are no words that the board can say to any Celtic supporter that will atone for what happened this season. It would be, as you just said, the captain. It would be empty rhetoric. So past the talking stage, no words. We just want actions now. Mm-hmm. Because those actions will determine the extent of the club's ambitions moving forward. They will also determine their ongoing relationship with the people that you said in that chain matter most, the fans. Because it's a breaking point, and in fact, it's it's non-existent. Mm-hmm. Because they've failed to listen to the Celtic supporters who've been roadmapping it all season. Not because we want to, not because we want to sit here and be negative and critical. We're trying to, everybody has the common tie that binds and it's Celtic. We want what's best and we want what's best for the good of the club. And we're not saying, not, not all of us can be on the board, but there are a lot of smart people out there amongst the Celtic supporters, highly articulate, intelligent, and they're just saying, look, this is, you're going wrong, you're, you're, you're doing things wrongly. You know, canvas other people's opinion. This is not the right path to go down. And as you say, they've steered us into the scrappy. And this and this car and the wheel that they fell asleep at is getting panel beaten right now into an inch of its life because it should be. And honestly, you just wake up today and you you kind of despair, don't you? You're a kind of, where do we go? Who's going to come in and sort this? And do they know who's coming in to sort this? Have they really been doing their due diligence or are they going to panic we are what 78 days away from our first Champions League qualifier yes yeah 78 days 78 days Tony and the board of Celtic Football Club have not told the supporters who their new manager or their director of football is going to be yet this week at some point they're going to ask them to hand over their hard earned again as much as 600 quid, possibly four figures for some guys and their families, a hell of a lot of money, and they're giving them nothing in return, no added value, absolutely zero. So, and and it's you and I that feel that. We, we seem to be immune from criticism or they don't care. No, th- th- this is the biggest concern for me, uh, Tony. Now, you, you've used a figure there, 78 days to the first... Champions League qualifier 68 days since Neil Lennon left the building 14 days since Dominic Mackay entered the building yet Celtic supporters are still met with a wall of absolute silence now the thing for me what you were talking about there do they care I go back to the fact that um, I remember being told a story from someone who worked at Celtic when you'll remember when uh, we were defeated by Falkirk when Liam Brady was in charge and uh, Brady and Mick Martin came in uh, you know the following morning or a couple of days later to to training so they were in at Celtic Park as you know they would train up at Barrafield but they would get changed in the Celtic Park dressing rooms and uh, drive up by this stage in the 1990s. And the staff and all the, the staff members in and around um, you know, the reception area were absolutely devastated. They were feeling like we've felt so many times this season, Tony. And apparently, you know, Liam Brady and Mick Martin came in as if they didn't have a care in the world. And someone commented on the, the poor result against Falkirk. It was a cup game. I was amazed that Liam Brady actually survived that. Yet, he stayed on for about another year after it. And, you know, the attitude was, that's ah, all right, there's another game this weekend. And they just didn't have that same passion for Celtic Football Club that you have when you have gone in, uh, you know, at terrace level and you've 
you know, you bought your own season ticket from your paperboy money or whatever it might have been uh, to the point where you're sitting here and we're talking on a Celtic podcast, a podcast that by this point of the season, I felt we would be talking about a historic and a momentous season. Yet here we are, like you say, having to go through, um, you know, the dying embers of, of this season. Not through choice. I'd much rather be talking about um, the rip-roaring, free-scoring, never-boring Glasgow Celtic. But unfortunately, that is not possible because we don't create the narrative we're only responding to what's happening in front of our eyes and what's happening in front of us is we've got a board that they're completely out of touch Tony and I've heard a lot of people talking about you know this is the worst season ever and again people are emotional and I think that what they mean is it's probably the worst season that they themselves have endured you know there's been worse seasons we were almost relegated in 1947 you know before my time, believe it or not. Um, and, of, <laughs> and of course, the nine in a row era when Rangers were nine in a row, tough, tough times. And I'm not going to go back, Celtic da, remember the 90s and all this kind of stuff. But we're at a point here where this is a low. This is a real low. And when you're looking at just how bad it is, when you look at the lack of engagement, Tony, is this as bad as that's been, this relationship between fans and board, certainly since the old dynasty? I mean, Celtic fans just feel disenfranchised. You know, this has been one good outlet to vent their spleen, but nobody's listening. How can you sit on that Celtic board and not be passionate and care about what's unfolding in front of you? How can you not react to that? You know, you've had various times to react to save the season. Now, I'm not saying they they could have won the league, but they could have certainly ran it close. Mm -hmm. They could have laid a glove on Rangers but they haven't and that's even more shameful you know that they sat there and watched it warning signs were there you were pointing out warning signs and you know failure to failure to act and certainly failure to react to what was unfolding in front of them no one it just how can you sit there as a supposed custodian of this club in the highest office that any Celtic supporter can aspire to and just watch that train go by, and, and, and not at one point go that whoa, pull the emergency cord here. Whether it be the removal of the manager from office, whether it be bringing in better players, no, just arrest that slide. Mm-hmm. But you sat there, complicit in it all, without without an emotional stirring, without your loins going like that. Oh wait a minute, oh, this is. As you alluded to there, a historic season. At what point did the historic season bat sail over your head? At what point did you think, good loads here? Mm-hmm. You know, you're just no preparation, and I've said it in other pods. Rangers threw every resource they had at it. They turned this season into a quest, a mission, almost Holy Grail-like, when the team in the East End of the city should, should have done the same, should have matched that. Now, I'm not saying Rangers bought great players, but they bought better players than we did. They bought players that were buying what their manager was selling mm-hmm. and have romped this league. Knowing people falling out on Twitter, you know, saying you, you know, not wanting to congratulate the rivals on winning the title and stuff like that, fine. If you don't want to do that, fine. But you can't escape the fact that your rivals won the title and they won it at a canter. And what they've did is just shown you up. Really Massively. Cool. Yeah, and people can say, ah, they're no great. And we spoke that there might be a bit of vulnerability there, i.e. they lost in both cups. Mm-hmm. How bad are Celtic if they can't take advantage of any vulnerability in Rangers? And as I say, that it's all stemmed from the top, that they've just not given the manager the tools to prepare and they've just not given the manager the funds to bring in the players, backroom staff, call it what you like, and then eventually not back the manager to the point where he has to leave. I mean, utterly, utterly shameful. But they just sat there and thought, it'll come good, it'll come good. I don't know what they thought, to be honest. Well, I got a, a wee insight into what they were certainly thinking about the uh, noise 
Because remember, that's what we get called. It's just background noise, isn't it, Tony? And we heard that a lot uh, during Neil Lennon's time. Neil Lennon, who himself was certainly not um, an advocate of Celtic fan podcasts, um, you know, getting involved and getting access at the club. And there was an attitude uh, not too long ago because I was told that this was the view that Axom were part of a, an echo chamber and we wouldn't be anywhere near getting access to the club ever again. Now, I felt as though there was a wee change maybe when Dominic Mackay was working in the background before he'd actually arrived at the club because we were indeed out of the blue asked to get involved in a fan event initiative and since then we have spoken one more time uh, to the Celtic women's team as well but you know that was the attitude Tony we were a racket we were a noise so you know what we'll just cut you out but the the actual strength of alternative media is such that they can't cut you off because if fans want to engage and fans agree with a lot of what's been said I'm not going to say all of it because, you know, we don't even agree within a team, never mind, you know, everybody that's tuning in, then I think it's, uh, you know, it's a great thing that fans are able to, in numbers, come on and say exactly what they're thinking. And then, if necessary, they can also get together on um, some kind of form of action. Now, Celtic fans were, for me, lambasted. Uh, particularly when you look at the events over the weekend and I'm taking this out of Glasgow for a moment Tony and looking down south uh, at the events down at Old Trafford and the behaviour and and, uh, the actions of the fans down there Celtic supporters much less in number than what we saw in Manchester turning up after yet another disgraceful result against Ross County outside the stadium um, and obviously showing their frustrations were lambasted from all quarters now yes we were in um, a lockdown scenario at the time and there may be COVID breaches etc but I mean the, fan, the fans of Celtic were absolutely destroyed for having the audacity to be frustrated at the goings on at the club and the fact that they were failing to engage with us but it was nowhere near what we saw over the weekend there absolutely nowhere near and this isn't my attempt to um, start drumming up support for something like that because I don't I, I, I simply can't uh, condone it in any way, shape or form. So what I would say is the Celtic fans are blameless in what's happened here. I had someone the other day saying that we were all drunk on success. Celtic fans for a long time, go back to that banner at Celtic Park, they knew there was trouble afoot. They knew they were taking the, bo- the eye off the ball and there was complacency keeping in. But the board failed to listen, Tony. And they're continuing to ignore what the fans are saying. 14 days, absolutely no contact from the incoming CEO. Some people may say, well, he's not in position yet. Well, he's at Celtic Park and he's employed. So surely between himself and Peter Lowell, a decision should be made after everything that's happened that they come out and address the Celtic fans. Now, after the Dubai fiasco, um, I had gone through one of the pods, given a blow-by-blow all the way back to August. Um, everything that went wrong every single month up to January and I was looking at that thinking surely surely there can't be much more drama in this but since then we've changed the manager we've sold Frimpong um, and replaced him with a a right back who isn't fit for purpose uh, we've been knocked out another cup you know uh, we've failed to beat Rangers time and time and time again um, and then we've been absolutely annihilated by Rangers I mean, let's not just forget, we didn't just get beat yesterday, Tony. It was an annihilation. I remember the season after the centenary year, uh, where Celtic and their wisdom back then thought it was a good idea to strengthen that centenary team by buying Alan Ruff and Ian Andrews. That was our two summer signings. And we've gone out, uh, we've been beating 5-1 and 4-1 from Rangers. You'll remember it. Terrible, terrible results against Rangers. And, you know, it takes a long time to get over that kind of thing. Yesterday, 4-1. We can't just accept that. That's an absolute annihilation. That's a humbling of Glasgow Celtic against their, their derby rivals. And what does the board do? What do they plan to do? They're going to come out and ask us to buy a season ticket, as you say, potentially even at some point this week. What on earth can their charm offensive be after the amount of blows we've had? Death by a thousand cuts, I think Jim Moore calls it, from time to time, Tony. From time to time. If he's tuning in, I beat you to it, Jim. I know you you look at it and you just think wow I said there where do we go from here you know and I mean what 
what, what can the board say that will appease the supporters at this moment in time? They, they have to produce a rabbit out the hat, don't they? Mm-hmm. They really they do. do. And they, they cannot fail to deliver Eddie Howe now because anything else other than Eddie Howe will be seen as second, third choice or whatever. If they're that far down the line with Eddie Howe, then it has to be announced sooner rather than later. But you're talking about the fact that you could be looking at bringing in a brand new team. Well, you know this, before we came on, Tony, I had a look again, because I know about a month ago, Colin and I gave a blow-by-blow throughout the entire squad. But I had another look at it there, because a month's a long time in in Celtic uh, when it comes to being uh, a Celtic state of mind. And we will get on to the team, but it's actually frightening to read through the amount of players who potentially will be leaving the building. Um, on, on, On the note of the boards and the decision they're going to make, you know, my biggest concern, let's go back to the first of the nine and have a look at the managerial appointments and how they came about. So the first one, Neil Lennon where we have gone for the cheap option and people say, well, it wasn't the cheap option in the long run and et cetera, et cetera. It was the cheap option. We went for a, a rookie manager who at that time was on a salary of 300 grand a year and across the city, within 12 months, they employed Ali McCoyst, who was on 900 grand a year and he was managing in the bottom tier of Scottish football before long, still on that salary, yet we were paying someone 300 grand a year. There was applicants back then, I know of at least one who was definitely um, in touch with Celtic, who wanted the job, Tony, who was coming from an EPL side, but whose salary was vastly, vastly dwarfing 300 grand a year. But Celtic didn't want to go for that. They wanted to go for a cheap option, and that's what they did. You then look at Ronnie Dyler, when Ronnie came in. I mean, that wasn't an appointment that they went out and planned. He was meant to be the assistant. And at the last minute, we ballsed it up. And the first choice at that time was Roy Keane, So we move the assistant up to number one and we bring in John Collins. So, I mean, it was hardly an inspired choice, was it? Then when Brennan Rodgers comes in, that's really their only only, um, pass, isn't it? When they went out and got Brennan Rodgers. But when they replace one of the most expensive managers in (laughs) world football history, when he moved to Leicester for nine million quid and they replaced him again with Neil Lennon in the showers, so you're looking at those appointments. Nothing is filling me with much confidence that they're going to get it right this time, Tony, and that's starting to worry me. In some echo chamber we're in, you know, the 20th most listened to podcast, you know. And you look of all time. Numbers, of yeah. all time. And you, listen, and you look at the numbers that this podcast gets, you know, there's a hell of a lot of season ticket holders and fans that listen to this, subscribe to this, and have their opinion aired as well. So... You know, because they feel that they, they can say something, mm-hmm. contribute towards, and hopefully someone at the top will listen. They can't continue to ignore you. They, they all can't be wrong, can they? Exactly. At the last point I checked yesterday's pod, 22,000 people had listened to it or viewed it on YouTube. That's colossal numbers. Yep. That's colossal numbers. I'm not saying it pat ourselves on the back, but we are an outlet for Celtic supporters, and chill supporters like it, and like it a lump up. We're not going anywhere. And we'll continue to shine a light on the board's deficiencies when we see fit. And they've not been the, the board's been as deficient as they have ever been in their history this season. You know, and, and you're not allowed to criticise, you're not allowed an opinion, you're not allowed to tell them, look, what's going on? And as you say, I, I I said last week that I was hoping that they've done all their due diligence and that is Eddie Howe and that things are happening in the background, but you just that Again, what you've alluded to there, apart from the appointment of Brendan Rodgers, which was made after they'd lost to Rangers in a Scottish Cup tying penalties, a Rangers side who were in the league below, you know, again, reactionary. Mm-hmm. Never any kind of vision, visionaries about this club. They're always reacting to circumstance, usually a low circumstance, a low blow where you feel sick or something's happened. You know, they're usually reaction to that. And as you say, they, they replaced the most expensive manager in their history, or the man that commanded the biggest salary, with, with Neil Lennon. You know, that said it all about the extent. When Neil Lennon was brought in to steal them over the treble treble this season, you know, when Brendan left in February, and I've said it before, he did that, and he did that really well, and he should have left then. And then the draw full of the CVs of candidates who were supposedly lining up should have been looked at. Yes. Get that continuity and got in 
a manager, maybe not of Brendan Zilk, but something similar, something approaching similar lines and build again, and you could have gone on and possibly won the 10. But it's that lack, lack of preparation, you know, lack of vision that everybody could see. And as you say, the Green Brigade banner, don't fall asleep at the wheel. How more explicit do you need to be? Mm-hmm. Don't fall asleep at the wheel. Right? You're acting, you guys, the custodians, you're acting on our behalf. We're telling you, we're not taking it for granted. We're enjoying it. We're loving it. It's great. Can we continue it? Please be alert. Stay alert. Stay awake. You know, but no, somehow, members of that board just, I don't know, you, you mentioned the word complacent, almost arrogant. But then that's been, these are words that the Celtic supporters have been branded as well. Yeah, and entitled, entitled. And I, and it's my pet hate. I hate that. Mm-hmm. And I hate that, that possibly like a group of supporters growing up and seeing nothing other than success. You know, losing is part of, of, of football, it's part of sport. You know, I'd, I'd hate to think that any Celtic supporter would feel entitled to anything. You know, you, you win everything, you know, fairly and squarely. And you lose with dignity and honour as well. You lose with humour too sometimes. But you've got to take it in the chin. But mm-hmm. when it's when it's self-inflicted, it's harder to stomach. Because, as we've spoken before, they've gone from such a position of dominance and strength to utter total capitulation. And you know... Fathomable. I've used that word before, but it is. He's just, just continued to scratch your head. When you talk about the entitlement uh, question, and it's something again that you know there was a feeling in amongst the club, Tony, that Celtic fans had been spoiled. Why are they reacting this way? How on earth, you know, what do they expect? We can't win every season. Well, you know, the, the big thing for me is if you plan it properly and you plan your recruitment properly and your, your youth development because we've been shown up has been horrendously far off where we should be when it comes to both of these uh, parts of the football department if you plan that properly and you get that right then we wouldn't be having this conversation and that's not about being entitled you know you think back to the 1975 um, season after Celtic had won nine in a row now I'm too young to remember that and I take as many opportunities as I can to say that um, because as you're getting older you do remember a lot of things uh, Tony, I mean as I say I've been watching Celtic in what is it, five decades now that's scary um, but I can't remember what it felt like to lose the 10 first time round I can remember this time but that season when Celtic lost the league at least we performed elsewhere and this is a big thing for me so when you're looking at the, the, the famous game against Airdrie 3-1 in the Scottish Cup final which was Billy McNeil's last game um, you can also look at some of the other cups that we performed well in uh, that season as well and I'm, I'm checking it as I speak because from I'm saying from memory that's memory of research I think we also won the League Cup and I'm going to check that as well um, and as well as, as the League Cup we were in the, the Glasgow Cup at that time and the Drybury Cup uh, Drybrook Cup we, we won the League Cup against Hibs 6-3 so there's your domestic double. Um, but we also won the Drybrook Cup and we won the Glasgow Cup as well that season. Four cups. So although we lost the league, we showed that we were able to put a, a winning team on the park and we won four trophies. And the big thing about that season is Paul Wilson scored in every one of the finals, which is an unusual fact for Paul in his vintage season. Um, but at least we were competing and at least we had a winning team on the park. We didn't win the league, Tony but we still gave the fans success. This club has given the fans nothing this season. Nothing. And you get back to it in the most, in the most historic season since Lisbon. Or since 75. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Because the, the mythical 10 was there to be won. Right? And they told you you were getting added value or whatever. When you, you know, so I, I just, you cannot escape it. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, 
weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As I said before, how can you just watch that season disintegrate from Saturday into a little bit and do nothing when you're supposedly in a position of power? When you, you are the, the richest club in the country, when you you don't arm the manager with the right staff that he wanted or the right players. You know, it's on their watch. It really is. Yeah. It's on their watch. And for all the good that they did and bringing Brendan Rodgers and stuff like that, it's, it's not a, a sense of entitlement. I think the Celtic supporters were, in, were entitled to see a team challenge this season, take it to the wire. No, you know absolutely. At least ask for that, but no, they didn't get that. They got nothing, nothing in return. And I think that's what galls everybody. That's what that's what's upsetting them, making them angry and hurt. You know how how can you? I mean, nobody. I mean, to be fair, a lot of sales scores were singing about ten from three and four onwards. You know, but you have to win five, six, seven, eight, nine before you get to ten. So. You always think that a year, a season's a long time in football. It happens. Losing's part of it. At this moment in time, you take your medicine, you take your dumps, you have to. Mm-hmm. But it's avoidable if people at the top do their job right. Well, some people thought we were maybe premature in our shouts this season, Tony, on this particular podcast. There were other podcasts, there were other fans who were calling for Neil Lennon to, to be sacked long before we were. Long before. We were. I mean, you know, some people said after the Ferenc Varos game in August, that was the moment. With hindsight, I look back on that moment as being the moment that he lost the dressing room, where he tried to throw the players under the bus and they didn't respond the way he thought they would. And they downed tools. So, yeah, that was the beginning of the end for me. But some fans saw it and they called it. I didn't back then. It took me a wee while longer, Tony. But I'm not running a multi-million pound organisation and I'm not being paid to identify when the wheels are coming off the bus and to make sure not only that you bring in a, a decent enough coaching and management team, but then you've got the January to put it right if necessary. So there, there are some opportunities whereby they've failed, they've failed to act. They slept at the wheel, they failed to act, and they continued to ignore the fans. Not only a Celtic state of mind, there were other supporters talking about it long before we started talking about you know, the fact that Neil Lennon had to go. So going back to what do they care about? The bottom line? You know? Pound shillings and pence. Mm-hmm. Don't care about the club. Because if you're as passionate as you and I and you're sitting on that board, you do not let that happen. You stand up and you say, this is going awry. Something not right, something not right, or you tune into, you, you have your ear to the ground to what the supporters are saying, and there's rumblings of discontent, and it started after Fervens Faros, mm-hmm. and it rumbled, and it rumbled, and it rumbled, and it's rumbled all season. And by the time January came around, they were all in. Tony, they were all in to the yeah. Dubai trip. Yeah, they all bought into it as a club. You know, they can't, you can't say it was Neil Lennon said, we're going, so we're going. The whole club bought into that. Because it had served them well in the past. Mm-hmm. But they, they, they never read the mood music. No, they read mood music in the room. They are mood music in the whole world. They, they never read that. You know, and regardless of people say, oh, they did nothing wrong or they never broke any particular rules, they just, it was a, a global pandemic. And they travelled away because, oh, it, it's... You know, it's what it's what we've done in the past few years, and we've come back refreshed and won the title. Exactly. You, you think about that, Tony. Rather than taking the action required with the coaching team, the manager, 
and then allowing the new coaching team to take the action required in January in the transfer market, we thought that the magic wand was a trip to Dubai. That that is what's wrong with this club. They actually believe that's how complacent they were. Yeah, yeah, complacent and arrogant. Mm-hmm. And that was after they'd lost the Rangers at Ibrox. Yeah, to go nineteen behind. You know, I think it was nineteen. Some, somebody might correct me, but I'm sure it was nineteen. And with what when they kept on with these mythical games in hand, mm. by, then, by then it was academic. They just were riding over the sunset. What does Celtic do? They just go into the sunset and just say, I, I, things will be fine. You know, no no reaction at all. But and, and, and widely condemned for it, and rightly so. It was a wrong call then, it's a wrong call now, and it's still the wrong call, but it's, it's, it's a wrong call and many wrong calls since last summer. Yeah, the big my, my big concern now looking at it, because we look at the, the track record, Tony, in bringing in the management teams, and as we say, yeah, we give them the big green tick when it comes to Brennan Rodgers. But look at the other managerial appointments. That's one of my big concerns. Eddie Howe, you know, there's been times in the last couple of weeks where we've been very confident and optimistic about Eddie Howe coming in. And I now look at look at the situation at the club and, you know, at this moment in time, I'm not 100% sure it's going to happen. The other side that I'm a wee bit concerned about and I'm going to bring up Gerald. Gerald McEwen comes in to say, I hope to God Lowell leaves for good and is not retained as a director if he is, God help us. I'm going to give you another wee insight into the club's kind of attitude um, all around that. Because when I brought that up, the fact that we were unhappy with the, the running of the club, I was told that, you know, you should be thankful. Imagine you had one of the other, uh, one of the other custodians of this club. You should be thankful that you've got Peter Lowell. And I think that is the attitude and the, the highest reaches of this club, the highest echelons of this club. And that's why I suggested maybe a week or two ago, what if he is still at Celtic in a different capacity, having um, overseen the, the capitulation of Celtic this season, Tony? And that's another thing that concerns me. So on the one hand, I'm wondering, do we have the people with the capabilities to get the Eddie Howe deal over the line? Because I have my doubts. And going into next season... Um, you know, we again will get the uh, the momentum of the new manager coming in, new faces, the rebuild. Yet, in the back of my mind, if Peter Lovell's still in there, he will still be an influential. How could you not be an influential figure at the club, having been so influential for almost 18 years? It's hard to relinquish power, isn't it? Yeah. For so long, you know, you just, it's, it, it just strikes you as being a bizarre set of circumstances. And only a club like Celtic could find that bizarre set of circumstances to, you know, to say a man's resigning from office, but he's hanging around for what seems like an eternity. And then he might not actually be going. And then the CEO comes in with this guy sort of hanging around like a praying mantis. And then you're trying to conclude deals, which has been your Achilles heel ever since the man who's in the job you doing the CEO, you know, that's been your Achilles heel ever since he took that position. With deals being squandered along the line, don't need to go through them all, but you know who they are. And it's been his on his watch. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, we had a podcast and I clapped my hand and sang, there's two Peter Lowell's. And I gave him credit for recruiting Brendan Rodgers and for the many things that he did and the period of success that the club had under his tenure. But also, you cannot deny that he's had an influence when it came to deals and projects and foisting them and managers and being responsible for, I say, the second greatest manager in the history of the club. Other people said Martin O'Neill was better than Brendan Rodgers. It's purely how you feel. But, I mean, Lowell's influence on the way Rodgers left the club, you know, it's... It cannot be ignored. No. It cannot be ignored. And, you know, and a lot of people look at Brendan Rodgers just now and he's doing very well with Leicester. And, you know, but he never misses an opportunity to talk about Celtic. No. And by the way, I, I don't even think Rodgers has reached his peak. I think he will, he will move from Leicester. He'll go to an even bigger club and he'll find even more success. I truly believe that because I don't think... he We got him on the upward trajectory. He was still progressing and developing as a coach. I think the difference with Martin O'Neill, and I know he had success at Aston Villa, I think we got O'Neill at his very best. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and you know and and yeah, Rogers would have left eventually, mm-hmm. and the Celtic supporters are always still angry at the way he left in February of that treble treble season. But if you can no longer work with the man, the CEO, then you you, you have to get out. And if and you know and that's and that's what annoys the Celtic supporters that Peter Lowell in particular has been allowed to wield that kind of influence and power, you know, and contribute to as as I say, my opinion, the second most successful manager of the club, contribute to him leaving, you know, and, and then and scuppering many deals and foistering project or foisting projects on various managers who they think where players and could be sold for profit further down the line. Yeah, I've said that before. CEOs are CEOs for a reason. Football managers are football managers for a reason. Right? One knows the financial game and how to strike deals. The other knows the football game. You leave the football manager, head coach, call him what you like, to deal with the football mm-hmm. and the recruiting of players. And they, they, they bring in staff that then go on to identify players. And that's, that's how football, that's how big football clubs function, how they work. CEOs, Absolutely. CEOs yeah. are going to tell you about uh, yearly results and stuff. But that's when you should only hear from CEOs when they're posting their results, financial figures and stuff. You know, and, and I like to think that Dominic Mackay will not get involved in the football side of the operation. From what I hear and the kind of guy he is, he's more fan-oriented or fan-oriented and he likes that kind of side of it and he mm-hmm. wants to build bridges possibly with the supporters and get them more involved which is great and, he'll, and he's a marketing kind of guy and he'll leave the football side football operation to whoever comes in so that's a good thing that's, that can only be a positive yeah no you're right I mean someone sent me the actual a newspaper article when Peter Lowell took over and I actually said he was here to deal with all non-football matters and obviously it's somewhere along the line that all changed but you were talking about figures earlier on that, that, that is right I mean yesterday was a big day because of what happened and who it happened against but we've had up to across all platforms because as well as YouTube we're on Facebook we're on Twitter we're on so many audio platforms iTunes Spreaker Spotify Acast but you know I don't always count them all up or add them all up because it's a time consuming process but we've peaked um, at 97,000 in one single day uh, a Celtic state of mind. The reason I'm bringing that up isn't saying, "Oh, look at us," and you know, rubbing each other's egos here, Tony. The, re- the reason I'm saying it is that shows you how many people are tuning in, and it will be interesting if that engagement um, does not reach as far as a Celtic state of mind. Because up to this point, the engagement has been over the piece over the four years extremely poor from the club, and we have tried and tried in vain to to try and get some kind of movement. And we've made numerous suggestions to engage with the club. So it will be interesting, and I'm not holding anybody to ransom here, but it will be very interesting in relation to what happens next. Will anything change? Who gets in? The ones that don't want to rock the boat? Because then again, that is a real echo chamber, isn't it? You're creating your own echo chamber. I mean, the one thing about this pod, as I've said before, it's highly articulate and it's intelligent until I open my mouth. But, But... you know, there's a, a wide and diverse range of views on this pod, and they represent, I would arguably say, every cross-section of Celtic supporters, all the people that appear on this pod. So, you you know, how can you be an echo chamber? Because we're not all saying the same thing. But we, we have the right, as a supporter of the club, to shine a light on, as I said before, the deficiencies of the club or things that we think aren't working. Mm-hmm. Again, it's only an opinion. What, what, what are they scared of? The truth? You know, is that, is that what, what worries them most? That people that come on this pod speak their truth or their version of truth? Mm-hmm. And it's actually bang on the money. And it's nail on the head stuff. Well, I think what I've heard, certainly, Tony, on, on the, the podcast and from the comments all season is people getting the nail on the head. And uh, often they do it and it's above 
your head has gone above your head until they say it and that, that's what I find on this podcast I'm going to bring up a few this shows you the wide range of views Bernadette comes in welcome to the show you're commenting on YouTube it's the feeble defence of the treble that hurts red flag for me was Ferenc Varos season was salvageable then it absolutely was salvageable at that particular time um, and then other people are coming in uh, Grant Liddell is coming in to say after Sparta Prague Lennon should have got sacked yeah and possibly before then John McFarlane I say after the first Rangers game Lennon should have gone and this shows you the difference of opinion some people say you're, you're, you know, you're jumping the gun um, after the Rangers game or you're jumping the gun after the Ferenc Farrell's game but hindsight is a great thing my own personal one is October 3-3 game at Pataudry I thought enough's enough Tony yeah, change had to happen at that point you're not being revisionist you, th- these, those games that those supporters flagged up were the ones that the pod flagged up Yes, my, my personal cut-off point, and I don't know if I was on the pod at the time, was Ferenc Farros. The night we lost to Ferenc Farros, I said to my dad, he has to go to save the season. Mm-hmm. You know, and in the aftermath of you said when players were thrown under the bus and stuff, and you know my feelings towards Neil Lennon. I've got a personal relationship with Neil Lennon. He's up there just through, through work. But I realised at a point in time that for the be- for the benefit of Celtic, and, you know, and the club, I felt that Lennon had to go then, you know. But they they, they let him limp on and limp on, you the phrase, and and it just got and from there it got progressively worse. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Rangers game without a shot and target, shameful, yeah, Absolutely shameful. I mean, taking the Rangers games in isolation this season, right? Played them five times, scored twice, conceded ten. Three times we played them, we scored none. One game we never did a shot on target. And uh, that's Rangers on a six-game unbeaten run against Celtic. Not not happened since 2002, 2003 when McLeish was in charge. So the Rangers games in isolation are shameful. Because as we've said before, you only have to beat one team really, don't you? Well, conceivably. Mm. And the rest should take care of itself. Celtic couldn't beat other teams this season, let alone Rangers. But as a, as if you take them in isolation, and that's, you know, three times, three out of the five times they played them, they never scored. And in one of those games, the first first uh, game against Rangers at Celtic Park this season, not a shot in target. No. To me, that's criminal. It's ter- you know, you, you've made a great point there because see when a team wins the league at a canter, I'm thinking back because I've mentioned this before to the John Barnes season uh, where the wheels fell off the bus back then as well Kenny Dalgleish came in as an interim to the end of the season and then we had the Martin O'Neill revolution we lost the league by 21 points that season and again if, if that's incorrect someone will correct me in the comments section 21 points the turnaround was massive it was huge it was a huge rebuild that was required back then the personnel um, you know leaving the club coming in was was huge and earlier on this season, I, I likened the rebuild to that very period in time. But we're actually more than 21 points. We're 23 points. Not only that, I'm not that confident we're going to keep winning or, or start winning games between now and the end of the season. And I certainly don't think Rangers are going to drop any points. Now, you're looking at the management as it stands at, at the moment. John Kennedy, Gavin Strachan. Uh, we've also got Stephen McManus is in there as well, uh, stepping up. Eight games, three wins, three draws and two losses. Both losses coming against Rangers, one in a cup. It's a poor, poor record. We said coming up to this game, be bold. Yep. Make a make a, at least one bold decision. Um, very, very predictable in his team selections. Very predictable in the times of the substitutions. Some of the substitutions were unusual. Um but, I mean, you, you, you described the, the great Celtic teams of the past. Are we now looking at uninspiring, misfiring, perspiring Celtic, Tony? Is that where we are? And what's changed since Lenny left in terms of the personnel and what we're watching on the park? Because I don't see much. Nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. No, uh, why, why bullet Neil Lennon then? You know, because Lennon could have done the same, could have produced the same stats. Might even have produced a victory against Rangers along the way in those two games. Being able to file them up somehow, but you know, it's yeah, three three wins in eight games. 
you know, which is why, in, and I get slaughtered for it at the time, but when Kennedy was put in that situation, I made, I said, if, if Kennedy's a, a well-respected head coach, he's kept it well hidden. There's a the proof there. Those stats say it all. Mm-hmm. You know, or he was well-regarded, or he's, he's a good manager, a good coach. Is he? And I get slaughtered for that because, oh, you've got to give him a chance. You've got to do He got his chance. He got a chance to you know, stamp his authority and he's marked all over that Celtic team mm-hmm. with eight, ten games to go this season. And you saw the lineup yesterday and the word we used was predictable. And your heart sank yesterday, didn't it? You thought, hmm, you know, we're, you know, we were talking on the Friday with Jim and, and Laura and it was, bring in Griffiths, bring in Reed and Belly. Ask them a question. Mm-hmm. Do you look at that lineup and went, you're beauty. We know how to beat this team. We know how to beat this team. Yes. Yeah. We've beaten them all season. You know, they'd call it the hex, call it what you like, but he knew how to play them. And he must have looked at that and thought, seriously? You're Is that the best? Is that the best you can do? You've not yep. done anything to change it up, to shake it up. The one change from the, the team that lost 2 nothing in the cup was uh, Forrest. Yeah. Christy Forrest, a guy coming back from a serious injury. You know, so, I mean, Gerard must have looked at that yesterday and thought, got to be kidding. You know, and, and the thing is, they've played them all season and won easily. And you do nothing to change it. And this is a guy who, I didn't say it was an addition, but might have been told by those higher up in the Celtic board that this could be your addition for the job. He's beat an Aberdeen team, a Livingston team and a Falkirk team. I know. You know, I mean, and as I say, I, I don't, don't take any pride in saying that Kennedy's kept his talent as a coach well hidden. I don't say that flippantly. I say it for fun. I say it because if he was that great, he would have stepped up to the plate long before now. And that's probably the reason why he hasn't. Because it's no there. He's not got it. So we, so we just live on to the end of this. And it's been an utter nightmare of a season. Mm-hmm. As a season when you said that starting in August was such high hopes, but it's just been you know, an utter nightmare. You just you, you're like, right, get these two games out the road and see where we're going, and then, but then it's over to the board to give you that hope. And you know, Fergus McCann says it's no always great being a Celtic supporter, but it's worthwhile. Give us the worthwhile. Over Absolutely. Give us the worthwhile. No. It's no because at this moment in time it's no easy. It's certainly not. It's right. certainly not. And the big thing, Tony, is we obviously as Celtic supporters will be asked again. We will be asked a big question again to renew, and we don't know when we're getting back. And this, you know, so there's so many different areas of this this situation that need to be looked at seriously by the Celtic board. And someone asked me last week um, about added value. If we were to go out and get the man we wanted. Um, you know, would Celtic fans really, um, you know, and then give him a budget because he's going to need a huge budget. I'm going to get to the players in a second. Um, you know, the added value, would that be part of it? Would that, you know, uh, whitewash the added value out if we actually went out and done what we should have done some time ago? And I'm bringing in Maravchik here after eight in a row. Why didn't we go at that point and approach one of these managers we're now talking about? I mean, we spoke about just about everybody that's been connected to the Celtic job we have dedicated almost a, an entire podcast to the pros and cons of of Harkin and Maresca we've, we've looked at Mars we've looked at various others haven't we and then uh, you ask yourself why didn't we ask the question Jesse Marsh on the 29th of April um, Leipzig confirmed that he will be succeeding their manager uh, for the upcoming season because they've asked the question they asked the question Tony you know so if we wanted if we wanted a manager of that Calibre. Yeah. Cool. You go out. Yes. But you know, and I get back to it, that's how big progressive clubs act. They see that, right? They see the next, you know, you see, right, if you have vision, you see it yourself, right? We've won eight in a row. We need somebody to come in and, you know, lead us to the next two. Some manager who's going to blow the opposition out of the water and assemble a squad of players that will do what Rangers did this season and cancel the title. And any manager of repute or, or a Brendan Rodgers ilk or of the ones that, you, that were across the bottom of the screen there, they could have done that, no problem at all. And in the meantime, ask them, can you make inroads in Europe? 
because Rangers have shown you how to make inroads in Europe. Mm-hmm. You, you can succeed both domestically and at home. Sorry, domestically and, domestically and uh, abroad in Europe. You know, so uh, it's possible. But if you bring in a manager of that calibre after Brendan Rodgers, you, you would have created that unique slice of Scottish football history if you're a big progressive thinking club and those at the top are switched on, you know, and think, do you know what? Do you know who would be ideal to come in now and steer that steering wheel to the 10? This guy. That's if you get your finger in the pulse and you're watching football, mm-hmm. European football, world football, English football, call it what you like, European football, and you're identifying. That's the people that we should have on the Celtic board. Guys that are watching the next up-and-coming managers, guys that are watching, and I've said before about your scouting network, go and watch the Italian, Spanish, German, French league. Watch teams from 5 to 10 or 3 to 10 and give me a list of players for every position. See, somebody tells me to do that. I'm coming back with a list yawn length and see, and you can get this guy for X amount, X amount, X amount, right? People say a scout, oh, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. Is it? Well, watching football matches and identifying good players. <laughs> you watch enough football matches that seem to identify bad players. Mm. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. I, I think the problem lies there, Tony, because you're right. I, I often feel that um, a lot of football is, uh, you know, simple. Or it should be, uh, but it's o- it's over complicated uh, in many many ways. But I think a lot of the the complications come in the form of people who are in positions at a football club uh, who have relationships with certain agents, for example. That's where the complications come in, right? So instead of saying right, who's the best? Give me a, a well. Let's talk about right backs. Let's give me give me a list of your best right backs from uh, the, this kind of budget, and, and that sounds like a simple enough plan. But then when you fire in a relationship between someone who's making the decisions and an agent who's presenting certain players because it's going to benefit them, that's where the complications come in. And that's why we've been sold down the river with numerous multi-million pound buys who have done nothing for Celtic. You know, and by the way, they were being purchased without the manager say so a lot of the time. You know, yeah. there's, we've gone through this. We know Brendan Rodgers didn't want Shved. Brendan Rodgers didn't want Marvin Comper. You know, to name but two, and there's been others. So on the on the note of the right back, so we're we're moving into a situation where I hope we bring in someone like Eddie Howe. I hope we bring in Eddie Howe. I'm going to ask you a question in a second. What if we don't? But when you do that, we've got a, a situation where the recruitment s- scenario is completely needing overhauled, and that brings in the scouting and everything else as well because that isn't working. But neither is the youth development. And for anyone who wants to say, oh, but we're producing players, not for Celtic. There's no point in producing players if you're basically going to have a youth development system that furnishes just about every club in Scotland with players, plus all the best of the crop go to the likes of Bayern Munich, Manchester City and Liverpool. That's not working. That means you're producing players for other teams. It's not working for Celtic. Right backs, since Lustig went, we have played the following people at right back. You tell me if we've replaced Mikhail Lustig. Je- Jeremy Toyan, Christian Gamboa, Moniz Bauer, El Hamid and Frimpong and now Kenny. So how many is that? Six. Six. And all of the six, right? Yeah, you might say Frimpong. I-, I would still argue that I don't think he was a right back. He came in, he had d- enough attributes for us to sell him on at a profit. So I'm, I'm pretty sure the club see that as a su- success. So f- at least five who haven't come in and played 50, 100 games for Celtic and been a success. And that's since Mika Lustig. And in that time, how many Celtic players have emerged from our youth system that's costing us millions of pounds every single year? None. And also Not one. Of those five, who's the manager that signed them? Probably not the manager. Mm. Again, by by and other. Yeah. Because of a relationship between an individual at the club and an agent or an individual at a club and a specific football club, i.e. Manchester City. And that, that is the, the complication. So going back to your point, I agree with you. There's a very simplistic way right. to identify and well, recruit players. Your, your budget can afford, right? Mm-hmm. And do it right. You know, because Bobo came from Toulouse. Can't say I was au fait with 
French League and to lose at that moment in time. But somebody, somebody saw him. You know, I mean, that's how you do your scouting because they were watching the right leagues and they were watching the right players at the right clubs for your budget. You know, and all of a sudden this man mountain turns up. You know, like, my, he's a colossus. You know, guys like that who frighten the opposition. I've said before, Celtic have got a team of midgets. <laughs> yeah, a team of small players. Small in stature, I mean. Yeah. Section of Ayer. You know, my thoughts on Ayer, we'll not go there. But, you know, the guys like Bobo, Mialbe, Valharan. You know, they come from real relative, not to say un- unknown clubs, but, you know, not, not fashionable leagues. But they became Celtic great, great. They became great Celtic players. Yeah, they did. Because obviously somebody was watching them and saying, "Your man fixed the bill here." That, that's another element, though, Tony. You're talking about the stature of the players, and I, I do remember Martin O'Neill saying that Celtic had been bullied. Yeah. Celtic had been bullied physically by Rangers the previous season, and he made sure that didn't happen again. You look at the stature of the players he brought in. Yeah, and you could argue to an extent this season that they've been bullied by Rangers. They've been thrown about all over the place yeah, by Rangers. Yeah. Rangers have scored 10 and Celtic have scored 2. Right? So, the stats speak for themselves. Right? So, if I'm the new Celtic manager or, or whoever, I'll be looking to bring in players of physical stature and presence for a start. Right? I've said before, I, I don't want my defenders to act like Ronald Koeman and ping 80-yard diagonals. See when it's in the air, won't win it. See when it's on the deck, Roji does me. We'll work and finesse later. And command command an area. Right. And and master the basics. There is not one Celtic defender in that lineup yesterday has mastered the basics to my knowledge. Right? And I don't want to have a go at Chris Iyer, but see that ducking as a man's about to hit a shot. You should take that fool in the coupon and end up in hospital if need be because of the such as the ferocity of the shot. I'll right. use I'll give you one example. The Rhino against Brazil. Murdo McLeod. Remember that? Hi, Branco. Mm-hmm. It was like hot shot Hamish that had it. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> Brilliant Roy the Rovers reference, Tony. Well done. So, you know what I mean? That's what I want a Celtic defender to do. See if I had a hot bobo in the face. He'd have just looked at my loss and went, <laughs> is that all you've got? You know, but he ducks. I mean, just, I just, I, that incident alone... It's just that's not what a Celtic defender should be. He should be right out there, and the people say, "Oh, Brown gets skinned," and I get that. Brown got nutmegged and stuff, and but Brown, Brown got skinned. But Brown got skinned, and this goes back to our, our previous point. I used the right back as a as a as an example, right? Yeah. And I read through all those names, and that shows you that the recruitment's not working. And the youth development's not working because we've not produced a player, and we've not bought a player that can replace sufficiently Mikel Lustig. Scott Brown's exactly the same. How many players have we tried to bring in to replace Scott Brown? And how many players have come through the ranks to replace Scott Brown? None. So, I mean, Kuasi was said to be a replacement. John McGinn was said to be a replacement. Now, we didn't get him in, so that's an issue with the recruitment. Yeah. Because we did. recruitment and the youth policy at the moment are a shambles at Celtic. And that needs to be sorted out as well. You see, once you identify that John McGinn could be Scott Brown's replacement, you don't get him. You don't haggle over a few hundred grand, right? You, you just don't. If that's if that's you planning ahead, and it was kind of a planning ahead for Sipper, again, they let them slip through their fingers like many other deals. And, you know, there's no point in identifying these players and then not following through on your interest if you really want them to come to the club. And John McGinn was an example of a player that Celtic really wanted to be at the club and he's not there. And he wanted to be at the club. He wanted to be at Celtic Football Club. And that's a frustration. Now, Tony, this was an impromptu Monday club. You and I. You and I made the... We actually passed the late fitness test. We got in. We got in. Um, It's been an an absolute joy to speak to you under the circumstances, of course. We've been looking at the team, the management, the board, the fans. What's going to happen this week? Well, by Friday... Perhaps there'll be development. Let's hope there is some development because you'll be back with Jim and you'll be back with Laura on Friday as well. I'll be back on the Axon Bulletin tomorrow with Natasha and Lawrence. We actually peaked there 
at 2,000 live viewers um, so thank you every single one of you for getting involved when we're talking about figures and all that Tony and I we're talking about it in a sense that it's a coming together really of a Celtic community I know that sounds like a cliche um, to share our views and, and obviously debate and speak about what the club needs challenged on uh, will we get an opportunity to challenge the club on that in relation to access we'll see Watch this space. But thank you, everybody, for getting involved via YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. And thank you to Anthony Haggerty for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.